Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We've all seen Silence of the Lambs or Dexter, other programs and movies or TV where there is a cannibal, where a body is dismembered. That is very rare in real life, or so we think. The specter of dismemberment and cannibalism once again rears its ugly head when a gorgeous young mom of two girls goes missing in New Orleans. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friend Natasha Robin at WVUE. According to court documents, NOPD investigators executed a search warrant at this home Tuesday morning in relation to a missing woman, Julia Dardar. Dardar's ex-husband reported her missing to police last month. During the search of Beale's home, detectives found a power cord leading from the main residence to a blue bus parked in the yard. When detectives searched the bus, court documents show the cord was connected to a power deep freezer where investigators say they found a headless torso of what appeared to be an adult human female. Investigators located a power saw inside of an ice chest, which appeared to have bits of flesh on the blade. Again, I'm Nancy Grace. Thank you for being with us here at Crime Stories. You know, very often trying cases in inner city Atlanta and ultimately specializing in very serious felonies. In the last five to seven years I prosecuted, I would notice that facts of various crimes would trip off the tongue of seasoned prosecutors because we were so used to dealing with not just serious crimes, but bizarre crimes. And what would be normal to us would be very, very abnormal to jurors. This case has made me stop in my tracks. While I report and investigate on crimes every single day, what happened to Julia is very, very upsetting. And you may not live in New Orleans or in any of the locations where this happens to young women and others. But the fact is, this does happen all across our country. Just recently, I was investigating the case of what we now know to be a serial killer named Israel Keys, a young Alaskan barista, beautiful. Her name was Samantha Koenig, went missing from her coffee stand. Uh, the reason, even though it was on a, a, a busy public street, there was a snowbank around it where snow had been cleared and cleared and cleared out of the coffee parking lot that had built up into a snowbank all around her coffee stand. So no one noticed when she was kidnapped. When I spoke to the FBI agent that pulled her body out of icy water underneath a frozen surface, she had been dismembered. 
Why? What does it mean when someone is not just murdered, they're dismembered? And what does it mean for the family, the children left behind? How are they supposed to remember their mother? With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. First of all, California prosecutor, author of Red Flags on Amazon, host of Today with Dr. Wendy on KCBQ San Diego, Wendy Patrick at wendypatrickphd.com. Renowned psychiatrist joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction, Dr. Angela Arnold at angelaarnoldmd.com, Dan Corsentino, former police chief, former sheriff, and served on U.S. Homeland Security Senior Advisor Board, now a PI at dancorsentino.com, Dr. Priya Banerjee, uh, board certified anatomic forensic pathologist at anchorforensicpathology.com. Special guest joining us, Shay O'Connor, reporter with WDSU New Orleans. You can find her on Twitter at S. O'Connor News. But first, I want to go to a person that lived the disappearance of Julia, her husband, Micah Dardar. And let me direct you to GoFundMe, Justice for Julia. Micah, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Micah, you had a a very long relationship with Julia. As a matter of fact, um, didn't you guys meet fairly young in life since she was a teenager? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was in college in New Mexico and we worked at a Mexican restaurant together and we met. Uh, yeah, she was we were both pretty young and we're together ever since. And there are the two daughters, correct? What are their names? Stacy and Karen. Now, there at the very end, you guys had had some marital arguments and she left. Yes. When she left, I assume that you thought, oh, okay, she's going to go drive around in the car. She may go stay with family or friends for a day or two, but everything will settle back down. When did it sink into you, Micah, or your two girls, that mommy was not coming back home? Well, we knew she was missing, and um, when it really sunk in was Christmas Day when I knew that uh, she, she didn't call. She was off the grid. There was no contact or anything. Uh, at that point, I knew something was wrong. Okay, right there. Let me jump in. Dr. Angela Arnold joining a psychiatrist out of Atlanta, and her specialty is working with women. Uh, former medical director of the psychiatric OBGYN clinic at Grady Memorial Hospital, one of the um, busiest hospitals in the country. Dr. Angie, when a mom mm-hmm. is not there on Christmas morning, when the mom doesn't even call on Christmas morning, you know something's wrong. Now, in my world, I call that behavioral evidence or evidence of routine that is now broken, that has never been broken before. But what does that tell you from a frame of mind point of view? From a frame of mind point of view, Nancy, what it tells me is that for some reason, the person is not capable of getting in touch with their loved ones. So they're, they are either, they're either missing or gone or something is wrong with them because someone, a person would not consciously make the decision 
not to contact their family for t- on Christmas, particularly if nothing had been leading up to this. What's the difference in men and women and not the obvious differences, physical differences? But I mean, I could see a guy deciding he was fed up with family life and leaving and not calling on Christmas. But I don't see a mom doing it. No, there is there is something different about about women and and their mothering capabilities and 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 women are you know, I, I don't I don't mean to say this, Nancy, but women are more But you're gonna say it anyway. Typically. Yes. You don't mean to say are, it but you're about to I'm going to women do have more of a mothering tendency than men do. And it is very unusual for something different like this to happen. And it also points to a difference. This is not something that this woman would normally do. So I believe it is a complete red flag and, and the family should be very concerned about something like this. I'm just trying to think about that day. I'm going to circle back to Dan Corsentino, Wendy Patrick, Dr. Priya and Shay O'Connor joining me. But, Wendy, hold on. Let me go to Micah first. Micah, that morning when you guys wake up and exchange Christmas presents and Santa comes, and the day stretched on, did the girls say anything about Mom? No, not a whole lot. Um, She had been gone since about June, um, so... We were kind of used to her not being around so much anymore. So I guess at that point, the girls are just numb about mom. Yes, yes, um, about how everything played out. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Dr. Angie, I want to come back to you. When you get hurt over and over and over, I think you subconsciously, if, if this is going to sound inconsistent, you subconsciously make a decision, that's the inconsistency, that you're not going to care anymore. You just shut it off. You, you shut off wall. caring rather mm-hmm. than keep getting hurt. Exactly, because the only way that you cannot continue to get hurt is to build a wall around yourself to protect yourself. Because if you keep letting the person in that is hurting you, then you know that the you know that the outcome is that you will continue to get hurt. So so people naturally, whether knowingly or not, they build up a wall and they become a little less open to people that could possibly hurt them. So Dan Corsentino, former police chief, former sheriff, now PI, dancorsentino.com, how many cases that you've handled start with ex, mom or dad, didn't show up for the birthday, didn't show up for the anniversary, didn't show up for Christmas, and that marks the moment when things get real. Well, quite a few, there, there's a few. There's no doubt about that because that becomes a tipping point. There is a, a lack of communication when there has been consistent communication. And when the person has a pattern of behavior where they're connected to the family, and then suddenly there is this emptiness, uh, that is a signal. And for law enforcement, they should take that seriously. There's no doubt. And Wendy Patrick, how many cases have you and I handled when we know on that day, I, I was just covering the case of, um, was it Heidi Plank? 
that didn't show up for, is it birthday or soccer game? Birthday, birthday. They had planned a big birthday extravaganza for one of her boys, and she wasn't there. Just went radio silent. And they knew right then she's gone or should be here. Yeah, Nancy, you called it the moment when things get real. Dan called it a tipping point. I usually think of it as a time when absence isn't just numbing, as Micah explained, but the explanation becomes nefarious. Everything changes when there is a moment in time, whether it's, and you, we've hit the big three, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, or Christmas Day, and that day just goes on forever because the loved one doesn't make any type of contact. And that is especially true when there's young children in the house. So, Micah, my heart and prayer go out to you uh, and your family getting through that day because everything changed on that day, at least from a timeline perspective if you're looking to prosecute a case like this. Dr. Shay O'Connor joining me, investigative reporter from WDSU from the heart of New Orleans. Shay, it's wonderful to have you. And New Orleans is one of our favorite, favorite towns. We just, uh, I just took my twins, uh, now 14, to CrimeCon in New Orleans. And oh, what a time we had. Let me tell you. Definitely a fun city. (laughs) And when you hear about a case like this, it rocks the whole city. So when did the name Julia Dardar get on the radar with you? Well, on January 11th, I'll never forget, um, I receive a call from someone who lives along Pauline Street. And she tells me, Shay, you need to get out here. Something is going on. Um, there's been police. There's been SWAT teams out all day. I'm surprised. Oh, man, that Shay, how many times have I gotten that call in the middle of the night? Nancy, right. you need to right. get out here. I'm like, okay, I'm on the way. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, we didn't hear about, Ju- we didn't know Julia's name until the next day when I was able to speak with Micah. I mean, Shay O'Connor joining me, WDSU, you go out there. What time of the night was it? It was about 8 p.m. And I'll never forget. Tell me about was. the bus. Yes, it was very, it just, it was a very eerie feeling when I saw the bus. Well, I got to tell you, I'm looking at it right now, and I, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole if I could help it. Of course, if it's a crime investigation, you got to go into the bus. But I'm looking at it, and it's got a big red eyeball painted on the front, like, forehead, like, um... Is it a cyclops that has the one eye? Like a cyclops. Uh, it's kind of been given a creepy face where the front lights have been painted green around them and red, a blood red all around the front of it. This is the bus that's parked next to the home. I'm looking at the home. It's right up to the side of the home. What else, if anything, did you observe about the bus when you arrived there? Just, I mean, first of all, just the way that it was painted, but just to see it outside, but then also to see neighbors who had no idea what had happened. It was just crazy. Take a listen to Caitlin Rust, WVUE Fox 8. We were together since she was a teenager and I was in college. Um, I always did feel like she was my responsibility to take care of and to see her go down this path and no one else watching out for her. I did my best. I think I did what I could do. I tried to get her order protective custody. I alerted multiple levels of law enforcement of the situation. Nothing I could do to stop what happened. 
What is that feeling, Dr. Angie, when you know something bad is happening, but you can't stop it? You know, you, you just get that feeling. And I've talked to so many victims, families, and witnesses. They have a, it's almost a primitive feeling that something bad is happening, but they don't know what. You know, Nancy, I believe that that kind of feeling comes from being very connected to someone and to really knowing that person. And what a what a horrible thing that is to go through. You know, it's much like, and you've talked about this on other shows of yours, it's much like if, if people want to connect to this, like if you lose your child in the mall and a million questions go through your head about, oh my God, what? All of the what ifs of what if could have happened, what could have happened to your child. That is something that I think a lot of your viewers can um, can can feel because that happens to a lot of people. These kinds of things do not happen in the general population very often. To Shay O'Connor, Shay, you were there uh, for WDSU that night. Yes. Were the police already in the bus? The police had already left by the time we got there. Um, we were the only people on scene, the, the first people to find out about the story um, when it comes to news stations in New Orleans. So, you know, just hearing about it, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, is this real? That's my, my first thought. Um, we get there. We talk to people. It just the scene felt so eerie. It was so heavy. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Take a listen to our cut three, our friends at WVUE. Dardar says someone informed him December 20th his wife had disappeared from Beale's house on Pauline Street a few days earlier. He said Beale was using her car and refusing to cooperate with police he sent there on a welfare check. I knew she was going down a bad road, but this gruesome way that this ended is it's beyond belief we have alluded to the quote gruesome way julia's life ended take a listen to our friends wvue fox 8 hour cut 4 Breaking news this morning, the NOPD makes an arrest after discovering human remains. Right now, NOPD is calling this an unclassified death investigation. Officers say they were executing a search warrant in the 2200 block of Pauline Street in the Upper Ninth Ward. The search was related to a missing persons report filed back on December 23rd. Police say they met 34-year-old Benjamin Beal at the home, and after getting a warrant, officers found human remains. And more, our cut eight from WWL-TV. The graffitied bus, the cluttered yard, the foil covering the windows, signs warding off any unwanted guest. It was late Tuesday night when police raided the home of Benjamin Beale. Court documents show police had been questioning Bill for weeks about the location of Julia Dardar, who he claimed to be his girlfriend. The records also show that police grew suspicious of Beale after a round of questioning that took place on January 5th. The court documents show police say they asked Beale why he didn't try to find Dardar or report her missing. Beale then told police he lost his cell phone and didn't know how else to get in contact with him. Soon after, police obtained a warrant to search his home. The documents show once in the house, they noticed an extension cord running from inside of Beale's home to a bus parked in the backyard. That extension cord ran into a deep freezer where the body was found. There was also an ice chest nearby with a reciprocating saw on the inside. Police say they saw what appeared to have been bits of flesh and fluid on the blade and surface. And even though investigators recovered Dardar's ID on the scene, they stopped short of saying whether it was her body. 
Some stories with Nancy Grace. Straight up to Dan Corsentino, former police chief, formerly with U.S. Homeland Security. Dan, dismemberment cases are very rare. Now, we think they're rare because we hear of them rarely. They may happen more often than we know, and they're never solved because the body's never found, Dan. Well, that's absolutely correct. And oftentimes what we find in this dismemberment case is a malicious, obviously, intent, so the body wouldn't be found. And that would be a situation where the perpetrator in this case is separating the body parts at different locations to protect themselves as well as to hide the identity of the victim. And this is just one of those tragic cases that we see where this individual, Benjamin Beal, found himself being so malicious with such a heinous crime. Well, you know what? Let's let's follow up on what Dan Corsentino was saying with Dr. Priya Banerjee. Dr. Priya, thank you for being with us. You heard the description of what was found on the scene. Extension yep. cords, multiple extension cords, the uh, the bits and the saws, the blades, multiple um, saws and blades. That tells me there was extreme planning and intent. How Absolutely. difficult is it? to dismember a human body. It's actually very difficult. Oh, yes. I mean, obviously, you know, there's the heinous crime of her being killed, and then they're trying to dispose, he's trying to dispose of her. Think about it. This is a power tool used to cut wood and, you know, heavy machinery, really. That's not, that's what's being employed to cut through, you know, bones and tissue. You know, it shreds it, it cut through thick bones and that's you know how heinous this crime is and yes definitely intentional uh to dismember her after she was killed micah dardar victim's husband and you can go to gofundme justice for julia who is now tasked with raising her their two girls micah do the girls know that their mom was dismembered yes uh they they know it it's uh I told them, and uh, they, they've, of course, seen the news. There's really no way to, to, to even explain. I mean, how do you explain to your child? It's one thing to say, Mommy has gone to heaven. Mommy's passed away. But then to explain the brutality of a murder and a dismemberment. I, I recall my fiancé's murder, and it was right before our, just before our wedding, and his death was shot enough, but then compounded by the fact that it was a senseless murder, uh, just insanely senseless murder over nothing. Uh, that was a whole nother level of uh, mental confusion because I did not know about a world of hatred and violence until then. So the, the, the death is then compounded by the mode of death, a murder, then the dismemberment. I mean, how do you how did you explain that to the girls? Oh well, it was uh, tough, but uh, um, they uh, we just discussed it, and uh, yeah, I was very honest with them. How have they digested it? 
How has it affected them? They are doing okay. Um, I can't say that they are dealing with it terribly, um, but I could see that uh, it, it is affecting them. They both uh, have different uh, coping mechanisms. Like what? Well, one uh, one has a bit of aggression. Um, the other has some depression. They're expressing it in different ways. You know, Dr. Angie, after we finish talking today on air, could I get you with Micah and maybe you could give him some ideas about how to help the girls? Because I'm telling you, Dr. Angie, after my fiancé Keith's murder, it took me several years to understand what was happening, but I would feel myself going into a depression again, Mm -hmm. and I would come up with ideas. I wrongly did not seek counseling, um, but I would find ways. I came up with ways to get myself out of the depression as I felt myself slipping into it. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when you get into it, you, you can't get out. And it can That's take correct, big Nancy. chunks of your life. And yeah. I don't want this for Julia's girls. I mean, the, the, the ghost hanging over them of what happened to mom, is it's one day going to hit them like a ton of bricks if they don't deal with it. You're and exactly I don't want right. them to lose years and years and years of their life morning like I did. Um, I want to circle back to this theory that dismemberments are rare. And I want to look at the suspect, Benjamin Beale, just 34 years old. Who is he? Take a listen to our friend Natasha Robin at WVUE. Neighbors are still in shock after police discovered human remains inside of a freezer in the backyard of this Ninth Ward home on Pauline Street. When they came out with the tape, I'm like, oh my God, you know, what is really going on? 34-year-old Benjamin Beal, known to neighbors as Kelly. He was like part of our little circle, so... Mike Major says Beal was his friend. He describes him as an eccentric, outgoing guy. And usually he was working on his garden. He'd be working on that, you know, the stone wall. You know, one, it's art to some, you know. Um, and he was pretty passionate. So he was quiet. He was, he was quiet. We would see him come and go and walk his dog. I mean, you know, it was nothing like, you would be, you would suspect something like this in the neighborhood that would happen, you know. The remains that were found will now go to the coroner's office to hopefully get an ID and a cause of death. Speaking of cause of death, I'm going to circle back to that. But I want to go to Dr. Angela Arnold and everyone else on our panel today. Please jump in. Do you hear how neighbors are describing Benjamin Beale, age 34, the guy that I guess lived in the home and that freaky looking bus he had parked directly beside it at age 34? Uh, eccentric, outgoing, always working in his garden, working on a stone wall, uh, art, an artistic stone wall, passionate, quiet, walking his dog. What? But it also sounds like he was he isolated himself. Mm-hmm. And, and it also sounds to me, Nancy, like 
he wasn't really a part of that community. Well, didn't you hear them say he was part of our little circle? Sounds like he was part of it. Well, yeah, I heard them say that, but but I'm not sure how much he got in to their community because it seems to me more like his behaviors isolated him a little bit. He He's a little odd looking. His home is, he's building up a wall around the front of his house. His house is very strange looking. Is that true, Shay? Shay O'Connor joining me, WGSU? Yeah, I would just say, you know, just talking to the neighbors along the street, they did not know him. You know, like they they would see him. They thought he was odd. But I definitely wouldn't say that they felt like he was a part of their community. Um, The people who stayed next to him had no idea who he really was. Um, One of the girls even told me that I think he he offered her some food. And so um, she went inside of his home. That was the first time she was there. And she's like, oh, my gosh, it was just so, um, you know, he had so much paint in the house and it, he had painted the walls and and Shay, like, I didn't know that he was living that way. And I just remember walking out, like feeling um, so, you know, just just heavy when I left the house. They didn't know who he was. But I mean, he did talk with people every now and then. But I don't think they knew, like, exactly who he was. Nancy, this is Wendy. This this man sounds like the proverbial axe murderer next door. The neighbors are describing him as quiet. They say he used to work in his garden. The one thing Shay just said that surprised me is that one of them had actually been inside his house because usually everybody superficially kind of knows the nice, quiet neighbor, but nobody's actually been inside. So that's one what I would call rogue fact because otherwise it does seem like he isolated himself even though visually they were able to see him outside walking his dog in the garden. Stories with Nancy Grace. To Dan Corsentino, I've been up in every neighbor's house around our home, and uh, whether it's trick or treating or taking them uh, something at Christmas or going to ask them, have they seen the cat? I have gotten in the home and looked around at all the houses around our home because I want to know who is around my children. You darn right I've been up in them in their driveways, in their home. Now, one, <laughs> and I know you think that may be taking it to an extreme, but I don't think that's crazy. Is that crazy? Live it. I don't think well, it's crazy, Corsentino. Well, I don't know. Easy. I would say that uh, you are very aware and conscious from the business that you're in. But, I mean, this is a guy that wanted to show the neighbors only what he wanted to show the neighbors. Many people, most people have a public, private, and secret life. Clearly, no one was able to penetrate his secret life or what was in his thoughts of who he actually was. You know what? I want to follow up on something that you're saying right now, a secret life. To Shay O'Connor, WDSU, you said the woman who had been invited in for some food. Uh-uh. Who would want to eat that? But <laughs> you said the paint on the walls. What do you mean? Was it like spray painted or graffitied? I mean, all walls are painted. Right. She talked about his home, like the inside, as though he had maybe painted the inside, like how the bus was painted. Oh, dear Lord in heaven. Right. Okay. Take a listen to our cut nine. This is Morgan Lenti's WDSU. 
dismembered and left to be discovered by police. I know she was a tough cookie, so uh, she couldn't have gone out without a fight. The family of Julia Dardar is convinced her remains were found inside a school bus in the Ninth Ward last week. Now her husband and the couple's two daughters say they are fighting for Julia. They gathered outside City Hall Tuesday begging for Benjamin Beale to be held without bond. He is he's an animal. He needs to be in a cage. Beale was arrested the night that discovery was made on Pauline Street. He was later charged with murder and most recently simple assault. His bond is now over $1.4 million, but Micah Dardar worries it isn't enough to keep him in jail. There is a high risk to many people if he does get out because there's just no telling what he would do. And while the family waits for that matter to be settled in court, they're left to deal with the disturbing details of this case, still trying to make sense of such a senseless crime. To Dr. Priya Banerjee joining us, how do you determine when a body has been dismembered what the COD cause of death was? I mean, that's a great question. So usually, in my experience, and I have handled uh, a few dismemberment cases, it's usually post-mortem. So they, the decedents are usually killed in one or more methods, and then they are dismembered to try to hide the body or, you know, hide what was done to them. You know, in this case, if you think about it, she's beaten and strangled. You should be able to tell um, much of those injuries regardless of the dismemberment because it's usually the long, the limbs, the torso, you know, those are cut away, but usually it's not so small that you can't still do an autopsy. Take a listen to our cut 10. This is Anna McAllister, WGNO. Julia was reported missing at the end of December. Last week, police found the dismembered remains of a woman inside of a freezer on a property on Pauline Street. Wednesday, the Orleans Parish Coroner's Office confirmed the remains were Julia's and say that she was beaten and strangled before she was dismembered. Reality of the whole scenario is set in uh, since I've got the confirmation and the call. Um, it's uh, I had a couple of breakdowns today and yes, uh, last night. Police arrested and charged the man Julia was living with, 34-year-old Benjamin Beale, with her murder. Following her horrifying death, those who knew Julia wanted to remember her life and cleanse the area of bad energy with a spiritual vigil. It was just a combination of different uh, religions and, uh, and people coming together. Attendees prayed for Julia and her family. At one point, the group walked back to the bus where Julia's remains were found. Julia leaves behind her husband and two teenage daughters. Right now, Benjamin Beale remains behind bars. His bond is $1.4 million. Julia beaten and strangled dead before she was dismembered. Exactly what body parts were found in the freezer, Shay O'Connor, WDSU? A torso. Um, so a dismembered body found in the freezer. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, just to talk about it makes me um, have chills. Um, I believe that her head was taken off. And, um, yeah, her arms and legs. Um, her torso was found in the freezer. The dismemberment of a body, what does it mean? Of course, this is not the first time we have had cases of dismemberment. Take a listen to our Cut 17 WLKY. But newly released court documents tell a different story, one where Oberhansley admitted to officers that he stabbed girlfriend Tammy Jo Blanton to death, then mutilated her body. After being a prosecutor for so long, you think you've uh, seen everything. And this is one of those cases where 
I've never seen this. Police responded to a welfare check at Blanton's Locust Street home Thursday and found her dead in the bathtub covered by a tarp. Detectives say Oberhansley had a knife with blood on it in his back pocket and confessed to cutting out parts of Blanton's brain, heart, and lung. There was evidence in the kitchen he cooked the organs and ate them. And our cut 19, you were just hearing about Tammy Joe Blanton's death. Take a listen to our friends at KFOR. Tuesday night, a horrific sequence of events about the murder being revealed inside the Grady County Courthouse. It's stuff that you see all the time on TV and you never think it's going to happen or you, it doesn't affect you. Investigators alleging Anderson killed Andrea Blankenship first, forcing his way into her home through a back door and according to court documents, quote, removed her heart, taking it to his uncle Leon Pye's home where he, quote, cooked it. Another dismemberment, both of those cannibalistic in nature, that one of Miss Blankenship, it goes on and on and on. And of course, the case that made the headlines, Jeffrey Dahmer, take a listen to our cut 20. I think you'll recognize the voice. I always knew that, that it was wrong, but uh, uh, after the, the first... The first uh, killing was not planned. I was uh, coming back from the shopping mall back in 78. I had had uh, fantasies about picking up a, a hitchhiker and uh, taking him back to the house and uh, having complete control and dominance. That was the voice of Jeffrey Dahmer speaking to our friends at Inside Edition, straight out to Dr. Angel Arnold, psychiatrist. I don't understand the thinking of murderers who then dismember, and in these cases, eat their victims. I don't understand dismemberment. Now, if you're trying to hide a part of the body, hide the body, get rid of it so it won't be found, I understand that, as evil as it is. But when you dismember the body and put it in your freezer... That's no longer the explanation. So help me out, Dr. Angie. Yeah, Nancy, if, if this is Shay, if it's okay, I'd like to read to you what the affidavit said. Okay, please do. Yes, so um, court documents said that inside the freezer, a reciprocating saw with flesh and fluid was found, along with a head and torso. Deep cuts were found on the shoulder, the shoulders and arms of the body that police believe were inflicted post-mortem. Dr. Angie? Nancy, I think that we have to remember, this is, it, this is very important. The people that do, that, that do these kind of heinous crimes lack empathy, and they, and they really don't experience the emotions that, are, that all of us are experiencing over this. They could even be completely detached from what they are doing, okay? So they completely lack empathy. As Jeffrey Dahmer said, he knew what he was doing. He knew the difference between right and wrong, but he didn't have a conscience about it, which is the diagnosis of a sociopath. So they all may have they all may have people who dismember may have different reasons for doing so. For example, to hide the body, to eat the body, to have sex with the body. They can have different reasons for doing it, but remember that they all lack empathy. And they do not experience emotions. The emotions that all of us are experiencing around us, they are not experiencing these emotions. They're incapable of that. 
Micah, I'm just trying so hard to imagine how your daughters are taking this because you know they're going on the internet and reading about it. Yes, uh, they're uh, they're they're doing okay. Um, I guess it's so uh, we're all in shock I, uh, about the whole thing. And to Shay O'Connor joining us, WDSU, where does the case against Bill stand now? Just as of now, he has been charged with murder. Um, and so at this time, I mean, because at first he wasn't charged with murder. So now that they've, um, you know, been able to say that, that he actually did kill her and that her body was the remains, like that was her remains, now he's being charged with murder. So um, there is another court appearance in March. Um, but as of right now, that, that's what I know. End violence against women. If you suspect of violence against a woman, call toll-free 800-799-7233. Repeat, 800-799-7233. Nancy Gray's Crime Story signing off. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye.